with my partner, Melissa Yamaguchi, and you have joined uh, Outcomes the Sun podcast. And this is our, I think it's our 10th. Is this our 10th? I, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And I lose track of my birthdays. I, you, I lose track of everything. So anyway. It's another great one. It's another great one. Is it? Yeah, I think it's 10. Anyway, we are super excited today. We only want to talk to each other because sometimes that's all we've got. Um, not because we don't have a, a guest, but what we like to do is kind of assess what the what's happening in the world and, and how that affects our, our brains. And, you know, things have changed in, in the last two decades, but really in the last decade, things have become so you know, compartmentalized and small and narrow. And it's like, we get so much in information at all times. And it, it really is affecting our mental health. Um, I think, that, you know, I think that, well, Melissa, you, you can go, I mean, we've had hurricanes, we've had, the, you know, there's so much, there's so much PTSD in the country, there's so many things going on. And we're going to talk about even social media and people that are expressing too much about themselves. I think they're expressing too much about themselves. I mean, I come from a different generation of Hollywood where, you know, there was a little mystery to the people Mm -hmm. who were up on the screen for you, whether it be television or the films. But now it's like, you know, everything about everybody. So, so we're going to discuss those things, you know, the things that go on in the world that affect us because they're natural disasters and they have a tremendous effect on you. And then the other things, which in my opinion, we could control if we chose to be people who, who made different choices so that we don't have to air our dirty laundry with everybody, but, but also cause stress, not only to people around you, but to your family. So I think that's, you know, that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> listen, you, I, I, I love when you and I get together because I feel like we recalibrate and kind of understand what's happening around us and then we can kind of charge back out. But yeah, um, yeah, you know, all that you said and more, we've got everything from natural disasters, which we don't have any control over. Right. And like I was saying, telling you earlier, it's like, it doesn't matter if your insurance is paid and your house is paid off, your taxes are paid up. It doesn't matter what you've done right natural disaster comes and you're, you're taken out. It's even if you can build back quickly, even if you are the uh, blessed enough to build back quickly, you're still affected by the trauma of the devastation and your neighbors and the community and everything's gone. Absolutely. There's that. And then we swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side where there's personal choices in creating your own personal tsunami with your social media exposure, airing all your dirty laundry. And you know, there was a big, there was a big backlash, you know, what is it like three or five before COVID there was this big backlash of people are taking too many selfies and they're too, they're fabricating their lives in the net right. and for the sake of eyeballs. Yes. And so then it began, then it, then the pendulum kind of shifted where it's like, okay, well, let's get real. Right. And right. people were showing things and I don't really need to see the glossy filter, but I also don't want to know how many warts you have. Thank you very much. Can you, I just, you, we need to keep some things private, but we're losing, we're, we're losing the ground on what the, the sacred ground on where to walk. We don't, we've lost yeah. it, but we, in the news, you know, you and I, um, you and I've mentioned this before, but we talk every day. And if we don't, it, the world falls off its axis when you and I don't get to speak, but <laughs> with the, when hurricane Ian hit Florida and was sweeping through 
and, and going past the Puerto Rican, the Cuban area, and I, Cuba, and I received a phone call on your behalf, um, asking, you know, oh, what right. your opinion, what you know, please can we get a quote from Marielle about about Cuba, right. and about the Heming, about the Hemingway home in Florida, and we so that began really kind of this earnest dive into what's going on down there because you know. At, at the risk of sounding you know, too uh, monkey see monkey do in California, and I was like, we got tornadoes. I mean, we got hurricanes. Whatever. I I can't keep my careful everything with all the earthquakes and everything else. So I didn't pay as much attention, but then I dove deep in to find out. And one of the things that our producer was mentioning to us earlier, Slater, was no. saying that even on TikTok, people are even if you didn't watch the news, but you were just kind of pilfering through TikTok, no. and you're that generation who watches it. People were showing close up, right? Close up the devastation that was happening in their homes and their neighborhoods to them personally through TikTok. So you got to see outside of the news, because the news couldn't get down, right? There, besides the, you know, being blown right. away, people were showing firsthand devastation. And so, you know, the heart palpitations and the and the the trauma that was going on for people, worrying about people down there, wondering how far it's going to go. I'm now in North Carolina. It's just coming for me next. People really the the fear. So there's something to be said about this this swing of, of the effect of what this does to us. Now, there's a cathartic reason people put this stuff on TikTok. Yeah. It's like, look, somebody, look, we need help down here. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, can you believe we survived this? Right. But then there's, there's also this solid um, rag magazine approach to our lives that somehow cheapens it. But what never diminishes, regardless of the approach are the mental health effects, which you talked about in the beginning, the mental health effects that this does to us, even if we don't turn on, how, even if we don't turn on the social media, we're still being bombarded by the news. Right. Because the news is, is, is introducing it to us. So I think, you know, one of the things that in, in having to approach this thing with uh, the natural disasters and things happening around the world, we find out now our grandparents, our, well, our parents, our grandparents didn't have social media, so they had to wait until the news, the papers came out with it. Right. And that's when they would discover that there was an earthquake in Mexico or a fire in Germany or whatever's going well, on. Well, and also, I think the, the ability we have to get information to people so quickly, yes, it's great. People can prepare, all of that. But also, mm -hmm. it, 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 starts the, it starts this fury of you know in of cortisol and fear and craziness yeah. that happens the the hormones that explode in your body when you're terrified something's going to happen how do i prepare for this where do i need to go yeah. all of that or you know my mother my mother and father-in-law are in florida you know how are they going to fare through this disaster so there's there's a benefit to knowing and then there's also this craziness that never happened even when i was a kid it wasn't like it was a million years ago but but we you know like you said you know yeah. the new if the newscaster guy couldn't get down there you found you read about it in the paper the following morning right so is you know and the question is to ourselves and to each other is that better is it better to not know quite as much there's a huge responsibility so if you're going to expose something you have a huge responsibility to how you put it out and so there and therein lies the rub yes we've got we've got neophytes with their phones becoming ad hoc journalists going out and putting stuff out and part of that has saved people i know that when there has been brutality on the streets and uh, just a, an innocent bystander filmed it and then it hit the news cables the perpetrators were arrested. So it's, and sometimes saved. So there's this weird fine line that 
you know, one of the, I'm going to digress here for one fast second, I promise. But oftentimes when people hit celebrity and they, to whatever arena that it's in, and they, they accumulate pretty seemingly rapid amounts of money that they were not prepared for. They weren't, they didn't grow up with it. They didn't have generational wealth. They're not prepared mentally on how to handle the fame, the influx of everything, people coming at them in 50 different directions. In that same way, we're not really prepared if we film something and then we air it, how that's going to hit people. And when you've studied right. journalism, when you've studied it in a responsible way, you realize this. we got to be careful how we relay the information. It's going to hit people. Well, yes. now, even that, you know, I, I was jokingly saying Walter Cronkite, Edward R. Murrow. But the truth of the matter is, even now, our news anchors, channels, stations are bringing us information that's driven by social media. Yes. So they're competing. You know, it used to be that, that the, the major stations were competing with the with the cable channels, and now it's they're competing with social media. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's great. I, that's crazy. And 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 that you know, I mean, you get a job nowadays. People look at your social media account when you go in for yes. the interview, or you don't even go in for the interview. You do it on Zoom, whatever. Some you know something weird, right? So there's this weird like we've made social media and people's ability to connect with everybody and their and their and and everybody and every celebrity and we can yeah. all connect we can all follow and we can all make a comment we can all do this and it's like it's very weird we put the responsibility we spread the responsibility so much that nobody has to take any you know what i mean it's That's like right. nobody right. has to say you know what i'm responsible here so even if it's, you know, Joe who lives down the street in, in Florida and he got hit and whatever, and he puts out a video and it, it's the intention is to be fine with it or whatever, but it's like, it's like you said, it will hit somebody in a, in a way that will be devastating or not, you know, but it's just, I, I just find this time really challenging and it must be challenging uh, for people with, with young children, because you, you know, like my kids are adults, so I don't have to worry. (laughs) I don't have to worry about them in the same kind of way, but it's, it's like, wow. I just think of that. And I think of the children because they're, they're so new. They're fresh. Their brains are like sponges. They take things, they're trusting and they take it all in. And, and, and what, and that is, that's hard on a brain. I mean, it used to be like, you'd go to a movie and you were like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be in this movie with my kid. It's like, it's so violent or it's, 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 it's spooky, you know, right. And now you don't know what your kids are, are, you know, they're watching everything and you know how you always hear kids know everything. You think you're hiding it from me. They know, and they have access. I mean, I I know there are, you know, there are things that you can do, but are there really things that you can do? You remember being a kid, you figure out ways to get around all the rules. I stink into Jaws and I was not allowed to see it. (laughs) Saw it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's it's a weird time. It's a very scary time. And it means that the responsibility for a parent, the responsibility for a teacher, the responsibility for a real journalist who wants to get real information, it's like, that's an overwhelming job because where do you go? Where do you go to get mm-hmm. new information that is clean, right? That is clean right. and not tainted by a social media opinion. 
Well, and I think that what this tells me always is that whenever, I know whenever I'm stressed or you're stressed, we reach out to each other outside yes. of family. You know, we, we yes. lean on each other. Yes. So it's your community. It's yeah. your community, however small or large, that you've got to lean in on. And this is what yeah. we know that the, the, the clue to surviving the, the pandemic because we were so isolated from one another, was staying in connection, even if it was by text, touch, however it was, staying in connection. And then then the next thing with this, the hurricane, is the reaching out and people forming communities. I This is where this is what happened to my house. And then this kind of a, you know, the communities that were formed around people suffering from addiction. This yeah. Leaning on one another. It's the same mentality. But, you know, you, you were talking about social media and this, um, the onus that is on the parents when you have a child. To help to help protect them or help educate them and you've got to stay on top of it too but now we're you know i was talking to you earlier about the fact that i remember when i was younger when um richard burton and elizabeth taylor were divorcing and it was nasty right. and it was this wicked divorce and everything right. was sprayed all over the news and and nobody really i didn't i never heard maybe i wasn't paying attention but i don't think i ever heard an opinion on my mom or dad one way or another on who was right or wrong but now we've got um this influx of information yeah. from people in the in the in the public eye who are going through a divorce and we hear all the sordid details yeah we don't need to hear and then they the celebrity or the well-known person can get onto a news channel yeah can certainly go through snapchat TikTok, tip twitter whatever just boom 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 bombard you and get all this information about personal information it's personal. See, here's what I don't get. Doesn't anybody want to have their own private life? You know, at, at a certain point, it's not everybody's, even if you're a public fair, it's not everybody's business to know no. everything about you. And also, I, I just think it's irresponsible as a parent, if you're going through a divorce and you're a public figure, to, to do that. And the, the repercussion, you're not thinking about your kids. You're not thinking, because they know somebody's saying something somewhere in their world yeah. so they know and it's 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 to me that's just it's just it's irresponsible and it's and it's it's hurtful it's just hurtful. It hurtful and and nobody's thinking about what's that what is that doing what is that tra that's trauma you know especially for a kid it's trauma it's gonna be it's gonna affect them for a long time i mean geez when i was making movies and i had uh, you know, I went through like not even traumatic stuff, but you know, like if it doesn't do well, or you get a bad review, you know, whatever. Right. But you know, if you're a sensitive being, that's very it's It can be traumatic. Imagine your real life being blown up and being attacked, you know, your parent, and then you, you've got to wonder like uh, it just, it, it kind of breaks my heart because I, I think it's got to stop. You know, Anderson Cooper wrote a book about his mother's tragedy, what Gloria Vanderbilt went through as a child when she was the child in that custody war as a yes. young girl in the 30s. And what, and the trauma that it left her with, the pain that it left her with is this young child being tossed back and forth in the courts. And even then, the public didn't have a complete understanding of what was happening. They just knew something was happening. And poor little Gloria Vanderbilt went through, I, poor, I use the word uh, you know, ironically, <laughs> but she went through all this pain. Right. And then it marred her enough in a way that when she was raising her two boys, that she was very sensitive and tender about information that was shared about them. So the, in a divorce or in a separation, even in a business breakout, especially when there's a divorce and there's children involved, whether or not the other side has merited 
the anger and the viciousness. Sorry, it's Daisy. It's going crazy. Daisy! <laughs> I don't know. She's she's just protecting you from the bad guys, Mom. There's, Come on. There's there's a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize she had elevated her viciousness. Okay. Can you get a muzzle on that Sorry. dog? Sorry. So it, whether or not the other parent has warranted, has earned the anger, it's still the, the kids. So it, I just think that, that even if the yeah. parent deserved it, even if the parent deserved the, the anger, oh, yeah. the children are still going to grow up and go, yeah, my dad may have been a jerk, but man, I wish my mom wouldn't have talked about it. I wish my mom wouldn't have discussed my well, mother. And the truth of the yeah. matter is, the truth of the matter is, when you have children, that's still their dad or that's still their mom, right? Yeah. It's still their yeah. mom. It's still their dad. And that's you right. don't have the right to impose how you feel about that other person on how they're how the child is going to form an opinion about that person That's right. in the you know whatever right. because it's always an opinion it's a perception if you're angry and somebody did damn it they did something to me that is on you that's, that's your right. experience that's your life that doesn't mean that that's your child's experience and that you know it's it's just i find it so challenging to deal with that information. I think the most important thing that we can continue to do through the Mariel Hemingway Foundation and out comes the, the Sun podcast is bringing people to the forefront who have these tools. Because if you're a child right now, you don't have any resources unless the yes. parents are bright enough and, and yes. thoughtful enough to bring someone in to help you. Yes. But if you're in a community where you have suffered devastation and pain, then you have to lean on everybody around you. And you and I've talked about different organizations that are on the ground, whether it's Project Hope or it's people coming out and offering help, you know, help, help to the people. Mm -hmm. And we're, we will continue to expose that. But I think that one of the, the, the responsibility that we have, each and every one of us, regardless of our personal pain and our private challenges, is to be, is to consider, think first. Think first before hitting send because, you know, I've written many emails that were just, I mean, just full of daggers. <laughs> and then I didn't yeah. hit send because the cathartic process of me writing or typing out, you know, and another thing used so-and-so really felt good. And then I let it go. Yeah. And, and that's, it would have done and devastation. That's, yeah. And that's, it's extremely important that, I mean, there's a lot of memes out there about the, the power of words, but once you have said oh, something. Yeah. It is said and it is out there and it doesn't come back. So if you, you know, like I'm a big bully, I'm a big journaler. I write, you know, if I'm pissed off, it's a mm -hmm. like, dear so-and-so, but I write it, yeah. you know, I write it. I don't, I don't dare type it because I've had those situations, you know, when you sent, you sent it and you didn't mean to, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How can you, yeah, you actually send it to the wrong person? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. always that's always a good one too. Yeah. yeah. I there are some days when I just think technology is just out to kill you. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but it's true. You know, journaling, journal out that information because honestly, it's all that vitriolic feeling is on is yours. You know, it's it's just it's just something that's built up. It, whether it's right or wrong, but really cho choosing words and being really mindful response versus reaction. You know, when you respond to something, yeah. you take a breath, you inhale, you exhale, and then yeah. you're like, okay, like it's it, instead of, or, you know, don't, don't ever send an email or a text or make a phone call when you're angry. All of this social media that is happening right now, right? The clicks, the likes, 
And I'm I'm not immune. I'm not immune to getting a like and you know, I suppose I I do feel, mm-hmm. you know, oh wow, I've got you know, hundred something like or whatever. Um, but that's an addiction. And mm-hmm. and and I think that the problem comes from the fact that we you know, most human beings it's difficult not to be to be addictive when there are addictive things out there. Sugar dopamine, you know, things right. that create right. a pleasant a high, they, a split second high. So you keep looking for that high, right? That's, That's right. what addiction is. It's like, I want to be, I want that feeling. I want that. And then the problem with addiction is you're, you keep searching for that feeling, right? And, yeah. and you never really get back to the first time you felt that feeling anyway. But but that's what I think what it what it all comes down to is at the base of all of this is that there is this disease of needing, wanting this false sense of joy and 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 you know, and likes are not love. That is not somebody who loves no. you, who knows you, who cares about you. They may say wonderful things or not, whatever, but they they don't they don't know who you are. I mean, no. I'm so grateful for the people that follow me, but that, you know, I, do I know them? Do they know me? I, God bless them all. I, 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 I hope to know a few of them, but I mean, honestly, how do you really know those people and how do you, they don't, it's, but it's searching for this, this kind of superfluous and not an empty feeling of love. And it's not real. Right, it's not right. real connection. So when you talked about connection, that's the key: getting our community connections, real yes. connections, where you really meet in re- in person, if you can. God bless you. I hope you can, because those community connections are really. Yeah. I think that's what's going to save us. Getting back, and I think well, coming yeah. out of COVID is 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 has been challenging for people because they're they they're scared to be in community again. Well, the, the 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 likes and the the dopamine hit from getting the likes and thinking they like me or the Sally Field moment they really like me, but the truth of the matter is, businesses are now relying upon that. Yeah. So some people won't hire somebody to yeah. be a spokesperson or to come to the job until they have a big following in social media. How much engagement do you have? How many likes do you have? Are you talking to the people that are liking your page? It's a lot going on. And so I've had people say to me, oh, Melissa, you need to be more engaging with the people that are liking things and saying things. Uh, okay. Yeah. And when I when I asked why, they said, well, it shows engagement and we're more likely to hire you for speaking. So now it's become this driver from an unhealthy position. It's right. Not, we're, we're telling our teenagers, right. don't pay attention to social media because that's not where the real friendships lie. Those aren't the people who know you. Someone who says something mean, doesn't know you, ignore it, right. turn off the comments, whatever. But then they get to an age where they're saying, businesses, sororities yeah. at colleges are asking the same question. Co- co- sororities are saying, how many people do you have on your feed? How many how many likes do you get? These are the questions that are being asked during-, during In college? In no. college. And so wow. these kids, we're, t- we're telling them, don't pay attention to that. And then at some point, we're going to cross the bridge where they have to go, no, I need to care about this. And I need, I need to care. like me. Well, you're saying don't, don't care about it. And what you're saying is when you go into the workplace or, you know, you get yes. out of college, you need it. They're saying, you yes, need it. they're saying you won't get anywhere unless you have it. That's exactly what is, right. What is that? That to yeah, me it's an, is, yeah, it, it's certainly a contradiction, but, but it's also like, wow, we've come. It sits on the so same con- path, Mariel. 
Yeah. It's just in the, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say, it sits no. in that same bath that we're talking yeah. about the journalist and the news, the news yeah. channels who are now trying to compete with social media by bringing influencers on to discuss the news on their oh, news channels. I know. And so it's, it sits in the same bath of misguided interest. They're all, it's look, far be it for me um, as an entrepreneur myself to, to um, spit in the face of capitalism because God knows I've benefited from owning my own company. But the truth of the matter is this marketing corporate greed, which is driving, it's driving us, these beautiful souls and spirits all around the planet that we are really into the ground. And at what point do we say, ah, it's like, it's, it's a lot, it's enough. It's enough. At what point do we have meetings with our, we can't drive the big corporations because they're like monsters on to themselves, but smaller businesses, middle-sized businesses and small businesses, mom and pop shops. Local, local. Point, yeah. Yeah. And local. When do, do we right. meet with them and say, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to come to the job fair at the high school and meet the kids one-on-one since yeah. they won't really care if she has 200 people on her page or whatever. Yeah. I think there's, it's, it's, again, it goes back to our original suggestion, community. Community. It, it, it makes me think of, you know, we're, we're here in Los Angeles this week and it's super fun. And, but it's a lot of energy. Like I am so surprised coming back. I was like, Whoa, everybody's drives really fast. I, yeah. You know, I forgot I left a year ago. It wasn't like, like I've been gone for years, but it's like pace is fast. People are going, you know, and they're, and they're constantly on their phones. They're constantly, you know, you go into a market or a, or a restaurant, they're, they're, you know, they're doing this in this, what they think is real engagement, but is it real engagement? And that's what I love about kind of having part time in a small town, right? It's that I go to the farmer's market, we get raw milk from this raw milk farm, and he's a good guy. And we talk to him face to face. And he t tells us, you know, about Bessie's, you know, what not Bessie, but you know what I mean? He has two cows and he produces all this milk for two cows. <laughs> and it's amazing. And he provides our whole community with these, you know, big gallons of raw milk, just like, just like wow. when we were growing up. Right. Yep. And there's something we need to remind ourselves that the world is fantastic, big, fast, wonderful. And we've got a lot of information, but there's also some small parts of it. And you can get that in the cities as well. There are great farmer's markets here in LA because I lived here and I, and I love them. And you can have those community connections. You have to make more of an effort, but it's an important effort to make. And it's not just about, oh, you know, I eat healthy. It's making a connection with a farmer who spent time and looking him in the eye and knowing right. that energetically you're connecting with that person in it changes you. All I'm saying is that real connection, real like seeing people in person mm -hmm. changes you. And that's how you learn. I mean, we yes, we get information from the internet. We get incredible information, but do we learn cellularly? I think we learn cellularly by, by the physicality of being with another human being. I, I don't know. That's my personal opinion. And we are already at half an hour away. I mean, we could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. It was so good. I, so, you know, I want to apologize to Slater because I was having such trouble reading that quote, but um, anyway, I think that it is an, it's a, it's a great time and is a, and it's a difficult time. And I think we need to be compassionate to those that, that are out there 
who've just been through a disaster, who've lost their homes, yeah. who've been, you know, completely devastated. We have to be compassionate to those that get attacked and be, that, that are bullied on social media in the same kind of way, right? There's, we have to have compassion for the strangeness of our world. Our world is different because we know so much, but we do have a responsibility to ourselves to slow it down once in a while so that we can connect with one another, connect with nature, you know, do all those seven doctors things, which, you know, I just love. <laughs> anyway, it was so great uh, that you all listened today to our conversation. This is kind of the once a month conversation talk that we have. And it, it's always, I think it's, I think it's profound. I think it's going to really affect our, our Mariel Hemingway Foundation and our Outcomes of Sun podcast moving yeah. into the future. So thank you, Melissa. This was fun. Thank you, my friend. And the key word for us is compassion and community. Remember them to remember them both as we move forward. Thank you so much for joining us today on Outcomes the Sun. Uh, you can listen to our podcast on Spotify, on Apple, and on YouTube. And you can donate to the Mariel Hemingway Foundation at themarielhemingwayfoundation.org. And I want to spell Hemingway for you, H-E-M-I-N-G-W-A-Y. Dot org. I only say that because a lot of people put two M's and that just won't work. Um, also, on if you're watching on YouTube, you can go to the donate button at the bottom and it will take you right to a link with a QR code. And uh, if you go to MarielHemingway.org, you can also press the donate button and be able to donate to the foundation, which is designed to help guide people towards finding the right solutions for their mental health issues. Um, that is my goal. I'm just trying to raise money so I can come up with an app and a website that has all the information you could possibly want to know about mental health and where to go. But we are in the process of making that happen. And your donation means so much to us. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Outcomes the Sun podcast. I'm Marielle Hemingway. And I'm here with my partner, Melissa Yamaguchi. And we are super excited today. We have a wonderful show for you. We have a guest who who lives in my neck of the woods. We're out here in Idaho in the middle of a massive snowstorm that is accumulating so many inches per second, literally. Uh, anyway, we have a guest, her name is Shanna Angel, and she is a board certified nurse anesthesiologist. Let me see that again, anesthesiologist. And she used it on your tongue already. <laughs> And she is also the head of something called the Sun Valley Ketamine Clinic. And so today we're going to have a discussion about ketamine and we're excited to have this conversation because before before we started, um, Shanna said that she had listened to some of our other podcasts and we did one where we talked about psychedelics a little bit and both, <laughs> both Melissa and I shared our fear of them and and what we were discussing prior to the show is that you know we come from a generation where well at least especially for me my my sisters did a lot of psychedelics back in the late 60s early 70s when people were doing them experimentally they were doing them at rock concerts you know they were do and they were 
doing hits mm-hmm. of LSD, like multiple yeah. th- things. Anyway, so my fear comes from not really understanding the benefits of certain psychedelics and what they can do for the brain, especially in a kind of a clinical in a clinical setting. So maybe you could explain a little bit First of all, what you do, and and thank you for coming on and speaking to Melissa and I, because we're really, we're so incredibly curious about about what you're doing and and seeing results, especially with mental health. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, This has become a passion. I've I've done anesthesia for over 32 years, and uh, I love to do, I loved anesthesia. I loved interaction with the patients. Um, I love drugs and watching how they work, the reaction to drugs. Um, I really enjoy that. I like the pharmacology of drugs. Um, And when I started to do ketamine for depression and anxiety relief, I found a whole new um, passion. To be able to have patients who have severe problems they come to you and they list them off and they tell you and to help them with ketamine solve some of those problems to see them grow and and lose their anxiety and their depression fades away uh like one of my first patients said to me it was like the blinds were lifted and i could see the sun again i mean you know when you hear those kind of things as a practitioner it warms your heart and it just makes you so thankful that we have some of these medications, some of these uh, drugs that we can use for this kind of stuff. I talked to a therapist once and I was telling her some of the great reactions that I have. And she said, I wish, I wish my patients could talk to me like that. Cause a lot of times with years and years of therapy, you still have the same issues with ketamine, I see those issues. They can work on them, and sometimes they just fade away. Because, so let's get on to ketamine. <laughs> ketamine is not really a typical a psychedelic, but it is. It does have psychedelic properties. And as far as having a mystical experiences, which is sometimes what they want to describe psychedelic as, I have seen all of the qualifications for having a mystical experience. I do do IV ketamine therapy, so uh, I start an IV, and IV ketamine is 100% bioavailable, which means it goes into your brain 100%, it's used, and where some of your other methods like uh, intramuscular, it's only about 80%, there's oral ketamine, which is only about 40%, and nasal, which is about 40%. So I, I think the gold standard for ketamine therapy is IV uh, infusions. I have just seen it just work so well. Uh, I start an IV and then I have the ketamine on a pump and uh, we can work with the dosage, which is so miraculous with IV ketamine. If I, if the patient needs more, they can actually tell me, I want to delve deeper into this space and I can just nudge them up a little bit. I give them a little bolus and they can go deeper into the ketamine space. On the other hand, if they get scared, which I don't see it very often, but every now and then somebody doesn't really like it. So we can turn it off and the effects within about 10 minutes, they're back in the room. Uh, ketamine is also a, a dissociative drug. So you do have an out-of-body experience. It's not like say psilocybin where 
in psilocybin, you're still seeing the trees and uh, things within your your environment. The trees may be talking to you, uh, but in ketamine, you're in a different dimension. You're out of your body. Um, and that's why I'm there. And I sit with my patients all the time. I don't leave their side. If they need a hand on their arm to just ground them, I'm there. I watch their blood pressure, their heart rate, their saturation, and I watch for their reaction. So I'm watching their face, you know, and if, if they, if they look like I don't want to use struggle because they really don't struggle, but if they're taking big, deep breaths, I can just gently reach over, put my hand on their arm. Sometimes I get like, thank you. I mm -hmm. actually had people say thank you. And it just grounds them to know that their body is being taken care of because sometimes they worry about that because their body is really not part of the equation. So they go into this space where um, most of the time it's incredibly peaceful. Right. It's chaotic. I've the 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 words that I hear most are "wow" and "weird." <laughs> it's kind of weird. Things are going. There's a lot of um, geometrical shapes. There's a lot of texture. Some people see bright colors. Other people don't see many colors. But for most people. At the dosages, and I do dose to dissociation. There are clinics that just dose with uh, a small dose. And I do think dissociation is part of the healing process because it gets you out of what our world, our society, which is pretty toxic, have told us that we are. We have these thoughts of ourselves as something that we're supposed to be. And ketamine helps the ego drop away. And you just are. You just are who you are. Can I ask a Can and I ask a question about the dissociative state? Absolutely. I, I think I asked you this actually when we were having lunch a couple of weeks ago. But you know, mm -hmm. there is this idea that the dissociative state, which is a is is good, right? You disassociate from everything, from your story, from your ego, from this and that. But sometimes um, I have heard, and I don't know this because. I need to ask you. <laughs> I've heard that, you know, a, a, a patient or a client or whatever can stay in that dissociative state, but sometimes they will drop back in to like the, the way they were, right? And that can cause severe depression. Is that the case? Or do you, or have you seen that? Or is that not something that you have heard of? I've not seen that. Um... I often have, and, and this is one reason I usually don't let other people in the room. Uh, when I first started, I let, I let um, a spouse come in the room and I let a parent come in the room one time and it prevented dissociation. Oh yeah. They, they wanted, they wanted to go and be themselves but their connection yeah. to this person kept bringing them back. So, you know, you give them a little bit and you could blast them out. All I have to do is give them, get bigger dose and I can blast them out, but I don't want that. I want them to gently go into these places and explore. And so, and also I don't, I usually do not say anything during the infusion. If they need me to, I can take, I, they have earphones on usually with music. I think music really helps. Uh, and, you know, if they're concerned and they ask me something, I can lift the earphones and talk to them and say, you're safe. I'm here with you. Sounds to me like you're guiding them towards their own journey. And that that journey is kind of unlocking the 
what therapy does over years or doesn't, or just keeps recirculating? Well, actually, I it's more like meditate. What meditation does over years and years and years, it allows you to just be. So the people who are depressed, my clients who are depressed, they usually have no depression in on their journey. If they're anxious, they some some report a little anxiety, uh, but not their. It's amazing how anxiety just melts away. So the, the infusion lasts 40 minutes. And then within 10 minutes, they're usually waving, hi, <laughs> back. Um, and then, you know, or they just lay, I've had people go to sleep at that point. They can't go to sleep really during it. Even though ketamine can have sedative effects, that's at higher doses. They, your mind is is working that your mind is traveling your mind is finding things and then usually they're really in a nice sensitive period right after and some people want to talk about it the thing that i think they get out of it mostly is they realize there's connection that we're all connected and i think that's very healing i that's where i think healing exists is when we realize that we are part of the whole and um yeah they realize they don't have to be anxious and they don't feel it. separated anymore. Yeah. Well, that, that is the intention, the, the true intention behind meditation and year, and it usually takes years for people to yeah. get to that place where they see, oh my gosh, I do have this unbelievable connection with everyone. And from your experience, you've had no you you haven't had any clients. Do I call them clients or patients in in I call them clients because I, I, you know, it's, I have a monitor and, you know, everything's sterile <laughs> and that, but it's not really a medical um, thing. It's very, it's very um, warm and got comforting. It. So I, I, you know, I, I think client, I like to call I them got clients. It. But you have not had an, a, a negative and, and some people have actually really gotten rid of their depression, say, or their anxiety completely. It's like gone. Is that correct? That's yes. So cool. Yes. I've had people go off of their antidepressants that they've been on for 20 years. Uh, some people don't have long lasting results. I do have people that have to come back and have boosters once, you know, once every three, four or five months. And some I haven't seen again. So I also think that mindfulness is part of yeah. The well, and also it it, it and enabled I, her I, and other clients to let go of the story, right? I mean, how often are we just oh, repeating the, the story? It's like you say in therapy sometimes, and not for everybody. You know, some people really benefit, but those that just keep like I keep telling the same story and I'm not getting better. You know that that is you know. That's not really an effective treatment. Anyway, I know Melissa. I, Melissa, I think that you have a really pretty interesting question about about ketamine and and where it could be beneficial. Well, in in studying ketamine and trying to understand it before we got in, instead of just what I've heard, what I I realized in and what I researched is that ketamine is utilized. It allows the brain to create new pathways, right, new synapses, so that it, it it can aid in the healing of past injury and illness. So when I was studying that, and this was some time after Marilyn and I had had our 
our our revealing of our fears. We, I kind of start diving more into it and trying to understand because it's the hot topic for, and I say it ha, it's not a hot topic now, although it has been resurrected in some conversations. I start trying to understand what it was because it can't be bandied about so consistently in the medical industry and with known and, and reputed therapists without some, you know, authenticity I means some, some very, uh, some truth to it. So I recommended it to someone I know whose um, child has undergone some incredible trauma and, and her, and I said, this is something that might be worthwhile looking into with proper guidance with the, with the therapist, with the nurse, the doctor, someone who is well-versed in this. Um, and her, her response was that because her daughter has autism, her fear was that it, that it would not work. She's heard it would not work for her. And so my question to you is, um, Shanna, as a nurse and someone who has dealt with this and with teens, this this daughter happens to be in her late teens. What is your what is your experience and what is your knowledge about how it works with the younger mind and in particular one who may who is on the spectrum? So I I have some personal. I mean, I definitely have personal anecdotes. Some of the research out, there's a couple of really good articles saying how how helpful it is with adolescents. And I think we'll see more of that research come out. Mm-hmm. But my youngest uh, um, client was 14. She had some uh, really strong support going in. And we prepared her fairly well for this. And she did great. Um and especially and 16, 17 year olds, they do great. They do really, really well. Um, and I'm kind of in the thought process. Our kids have so much going on right now. Mm-hmm. If we can help them establish who they are without the baggage of 40 years <laughs> of therapy mm-hmm. and, and of society, of toxic society, mm-hmm. if we can help them establish this when their youngs are uh, their minds are young and vibrant and we can get them on the right pathway with who they are and the power of themselves. Yes. I think their life ahead is, has, is very bright. Their future is very bright. Um, I have not had any problems with any of the teens that I've done. And I have worked with autistic. Uh, I, I have a couple of clients with autism. They're on the spectrum. They're high functioning. And um, they tolerate ketamine very, very well. Um, Interesting. They're able to talk to me. They've changed. Uh, and uh, one client has been doing ketamine for a while. And I do think it saved his life. And I, mm-hmm. he, there were some suicide And he was on the spectrum? And he was on the spectrum, the beginning. too? And yes. how, how... High and high depression. Often... Do you see somebody like that? Not, you know, you don't have to be specific about a person, but in general. Well, I start with an initial series okay. of six, five or six. I mean, there's no magical number because mm-hmm. they, those were what they started with when they started to do ketamine in the beginning, six over a two week period of time. Now, some clinics have changed it. I kind of have, have stayed with uh, six, five or six over two to three week period of time. Because each infusion builds on the next. The first one, they're really anxious. They have no idea what, you know, what they're going <coughs> to, they're going to go, what they're going to do. 
and in the first one, they get a sense that yeah. it's all okay. They can't, they, they, the anxiety starts dropping away. I think the first one, uh, which is really great to see. And the next time you can actually talk with them, the more, they're more talkative and then they fall into each, each session, each infusion, each journey, should I say, is right. usually different. They go different places. They can have different, um, thoughts and, uh, each, each infusion builds on the next and by four or five, because sometimes they don't feel any, usually anxiety drops with one, but depression sometimes takes four and five infusions until they see the depression fade away. And, uh, and then sometimes it comes back. And so we watch them carefully. And if it comes back, we do another infusion. Uh, and, you know, some, I've had some clients with me almost three years now doing boosters, which, uh, and I fully expect one day they will not be doing ketamine anymore. I, I do think that um, they're going to heal their brain. They're going to heal their thoughts. Now, I have a question. <clears throat> I do have a question, though. I when So, so what would be some of the most um, frequent reasons why somebody would seek out the clinic? Is it primarily for depression or suicide ideation or anxiety, or could it be an overall sensation of something's not right with me? I need to retract and they don't really have an answer for it. Or is it, do you get specific requests coming in? I do get specific requests, mostly for depression, anxiety, um, suicidal ideation. Ketamine is an incredible treatment for wow. suicidal ideation. One infusion can help take the suicidal ideation away. And the fact that we have teens in our community and other people that are hurting themselves, yes, they could come and have one ketamine infusion and probably we could get them out wow. of that state. And that's, that's fact. That's, that that's, is the that's research amazing. supports that. So you get kids, you, when you said hurting themselves, we have so many of the young teens cutting themselves and, hurt, and hurting themselves in other ways, whether, even whether, if it's through self-medication. And so and if what happens in, in the brain, from what, from what I'm understanding, and please correct me um, if I'm wrong, but if, so what's happening is there's almost like a, a skip and repeat in one thought, thought process that they have on, on that they are less than or whatever it is that's causing them to feel this this way or experience something this way. So the ketamine in opening up these new pathways, these new synapses in the brain, offers them a different route. So get off the 101 and now take a, you know, right. take a different road. Uh, so I uh, like to liken it to a toboggan run or a ski run. So they have ruminating thoughts. And so, you know, the first time you go down in, in a toboggan, you have to really work your way down the hill. The next time it goes faster. The next time you can really start flying in that tunnel, that that, that <laughs> uh, channel that you've made. And you can't get out. You can't get out of that channel. You just go in that same channel. That's what people who have depression, all these things, they have ruminating thoughts and they just continue with those thoughts. So those thoughts yes. are powerful and they're hard to get rid of. We know ketamine comes in well, and so do MDMA uh, and a lot of the other psychedelics. I think are doing the same thing. Actually, meditation does the same thing. It creates. So what happens? They get these channels, and their other thought, their big thought, 
they they break down they lose their ability to transmit the transmissions they the the neurons get depressions in them so they shut down so all of this connection in our brain we get very small small not a small brain but small thinking so ketamine comes through and they've actually watched in rat models that the neurons are healed they're repaired so you get the transmission going down them again plus you get more uh little dendritic so so what you're doing is so ketamine so what you're doing is creating new neural pathways so that you're not doing that same toboggan run you're creating new ones correct and creating and dendrites and and repairing yeah and repairing the ones that are depressed so you have the limbic system the amygdala and that is you know, high, just really amped up with depression and stress and fear and anxiety, and it's overworking. So ketamine, we see that it tamped down, tamps down the amygdala where the, right. all your fear is, and it connects it more to the frontal cortex so that you have, you have logical right. thought about your fear and you realize that your fear is yeah, you so, so you so what you've done is you've separated right. yourself from the fear, from the anxiety, from the depression because you can actually observe it. Yeah. Well, that's what meditation does, right? You you have separate. Yeah, that's what you've that's separated what yourself does. out so you can become the observer cool. of what's going on in the brain and the in your life. Blah blah blah. That's so it's fascinating. It's fascinating, and it's just a faster way to get there. Sorry, Melissa. Go ahead. Is it no, is. it's okay. I'm. Is it also possible for someone who has perhaps had years or, or decades of alcohol use or drug use, is it possible for those parts of their brain that have almost been, forgive my lack of, of proper nomenclature here, but been dulled or, or, or deadened in some ways, is it possible for them to be able to, to receive benefit if someone's been um, a, drug use, a drug abuser um, right. or an alcoholic? Will ketamine, is ketamine still a possibility for them to, to help if they're suffering from any depression, anxiety, or, or pain? Yes. I've had some really good luck with alcohol um, problems and um, alcohol abuse, alcohol use disorder. And I think the thing, the, the thing I think with alcohol it's so rampant, wow. especially in our community. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a good support system. So I can do ketamine and I do see the benefits. They start they start believing in themselves. They start mm-hmm. realizing that their whole past, they're not really bad people. Mm-hmm. Everything that's gone on in their lives have influenced them. And I, I, I really steer them towards Gabor Mate's work with Realm of Hungry Ghosts and that idea of addiction being, um, you know, a reaction to what you got that was bad or what you didn't get. Mm-hmm. So I, and I think addiction is just, it's, we really don't know everything about it, but mm-hmm. I do see with ketamine that they find out that they are worthy. They are, they are worthy of healing themselves. And I, yes. I think the thing with ketamine, it allows people to heal themselves, which is our power, which is 
what it's all about is yes. letting ourselves. Well, that's heal now I remembered what I was going to say. That's friend. exactly what I wanted to bring up is that you said that, and I found that so powerful because Melissa and I talk about this almost every show. It's like, how can we enable people to do the because basically you got to do the work on yourself, right? You can't save another person. So ketamine is just an instrument that activates your body, mind, spirit, whatever's ability to heal itself. Because I think that we're all able to heal ourselves. It's just, you got to be given the right tools, right? That's what I was going to (laughs) say. Well, and I think the magical line is the magical thing you said for me is that it allows them to see that they're worthy. And that, that is the, that seems to be the seedling, right? That gets fertilized with abuse and everything where they start thinking I'm not worthy. And so the self-medication comes in, whatever the the chosen vice is. And I think that if, if nothing more, the, the, the possibility and probability, it sounds like of hope and the light is probably one of the most exciting things I've heard on our show in a long time. Because I think that so many people feel hopeless and they just feel like, well, you know, life, I forget my language, but life sucks. It's not going to get any better for me. I, I might as well. I've got a, I've got a, I don't like my job or I can't find a job. I don't like where I'm living. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like. And so they start giving up. And if someone knew that he or she had, if, 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 if after one to six sessions, they could six sessions, six 40 minute sessions out of their life could discover that they're worthy and that there's a, that they can begin to get better. I think it's one of the best things I've heard. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. For sharing this. This is huge. Now, now yeah. you know why I love doing it. It's just, it, it is, is fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. And so the one thing about this is it doesn't end with just an infusion. So all of my clients, I stress to them, I mean, some of them get some, of, especially the young people, mindfulness. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to meditate. Um, and it's really hard to get them to understand, you don't have, I, I, you don't have to sit in meditation. But when you leave this office, I want you to see what you see, hear what you hear, smell what you smell, taste what you sm- taste. And when you have a thought, see it as a thought. Mm-hmm. Don't make a story about it, but sit with it, feel it, feel your emotions, feel your sadness, feel your anger, feel it, yeah. and then go on to something else. Uh, but mindfulness, they have to continue with being outside, eating good yes. food. And being mindful, you know, and I don't, I don't say you have to sit in meditation. I think that would all be really good for us. But I find my most mindful times are when I'm cooking, when I'm doing something, looking outside, when I'm outside. Uh, I know nature heals. So I try really hard to get all of my clients outside once a day and just see what they see. You know, I listening to the leaves of the uh, aspen trees when the wind's blowing, yes. watching the snowfall right now. It's like, go outside and watch the yeah. snowflakes. Um, that is where I think healing comes. After they've had the treatments, I think they have the ability well, to yeah, start I think, looking I at think, things differently. Yeah, I think, I think what it does the is it enables in. a person to outside themselves and also be present with whatever they're going on in life. Listen, Shanna, this was incredible. And we are, I I know that I'm super excited about what you've shared with us. And I know Melissa feels the same way. We're just, it's amazing what you're doing. I'm, I'm 
like Melissa was saying, I'm so filled with hope. And thank you. Uh, I hope you'll come back again and talk to us, uh, I don't know, about more discoveries. Because this is really, of all the things, because that's all we want to do on this um, podcast and for the Mariel Hemingway Foundation, is just share the all the different modalities that are making a difference. And this, wow, this is really making a difference. I, I can tell. I mean, wow. Anyway. So thank you so much for being yeah. on our show. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, what a pleasure to a be pleasure. with you guys. Thanks. Thank you so much for all your work. Thank, thank you, so you much. all. Thank you You're for uh, joining us on Outcomes of Sun podcast. And we'll see you next week for another episode. It's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.